It's always been the cat and mouse game in security, right? You have a neural network that is out there creating new content, and then you have the opposing network that is looking to detect the artificially created content. And so you, same thing as the good guys and the bad guys, and or the threat actors and the defenders, the red team and the blue team. But in this case, it's actually making the AI stronger because the more we able to detect what's fake, then the AI learns and the AI will generate better fakes. Welcome to Code to Cloud. I'm Tim Chase, Global Field CISO at Lacework. And here with me today is Greg Crowley. Greg is CISO at eCentire. They protect critical information for over 2,000 organizations across more than 80 countries from cyber threats. Prior to joining eCentire, Greg served as VP of Cybersecurity and Network Infrastructure at WWE, where he spent over 17 years. Greg, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tim. Pleasure to be here. Let's get right into it and get with some tough questions that we're kind of dealing with in the cybersecurity industry today. Generative AI and chat GPT. Obviously, they are both hot topics right now. So what do you think that it means for the cybersecurity industry? I think it's exciting. And I think there's threats and there's opportunities for advancing defenses as well. So if I was to step back a little bit, because, you know, first, I think a lot of people in the mainstream may have just heard about ChatGPT, right? Okay, so ChatGPT is a chatbot element of the GPT underlying technology. And then one of the interesting things about it is, you know, something called generative AI, right? And that's a type of artificial intelligence that is capable of producing new data. So it could produce images, videos, text, et cetera, right? So it's not your typical machine learning. It's actually creating something new and it's called generative AI. That's probably as deep as I'm going to get on any explanation because I'm not a data scientist. And what I did know is when ChatGPT came out, the security community really dove in, right? And I think we dove in for a couple of reasons. A, it's just our natural curiosity. And wow, this was, for me, it was just like, it was something cool. Over the years, being in my my role and position, a lot of companies have tried to pitch to me that whatever solution they have for security is doing AI, right? And was it? Not really sure. Maybe. When you dig in, it was kind of like, eh, that's just some fancy <laughs> algorithms. Right. Exactly. This was the first time I was like, wow, this is really doing what everybody thought it could do. You ask it something, it tells you anything. You ask it to write some code. I think I did something cheesy like, all right, write a web page in whatever language and on the web page in blinking rainbow colors write hello or something like that, right? And it just spit out, it was just totally random or whatever I could think of off the top of my head. And it did it, it spit out the code. And I'm not a coder, but it looked pretty good to me, right? So yeah, I think the right now it is a, a very hot topic for a few different reasons. The one of them is the security industry has a huge challenge. It's had a huge challenge in filling security roles. We have a, a talent gap. And there's 3.5 million unfulfilled roles out there, I believe, right now in the security industry. So how do we fill that? A lot of those roles are not going to get filled internally. It's going to be filled by security providers. But then there's opportunities for technology to fill the gap a little bit, right? So if you can take artificial intelligence that can analyze a lot of data, that can streamline a lot of different tasks, that can help out, especially on lower level, say SOC, entry level one type of positions, right? Or do some malware analysis. 
I think that's where you have a lot of great opportunity to take advantage of this new AI. Greg, you mentioned a little bit about some of the positive parts of AI. Obviously, that's one of the things that we in the cyber in- industry have talked about for a while. You know, how do you do more with less, right? How, we have a cybersecurity industry resource shortage. And so how do you do more with less? And so you, you mentioned one of the benefits of AI potentially is being able to kind of take some of that workload off some of the maybe the repeatable processes or the first line processes, right? What are some of the downfalls that you could see? Obviously, there's probably a few security downfalls that can come with AI. Definitely. I think anytime a new technology comes out, right, it's going to be used for good and used for bad. So there are some some caveats, some malicious ways that this will be used. But I don't think it's anything necessarily new. If you look at it, phishing has always been a problem, not always, but for a long time has been a problem. Um, there have been deep fakes, there's social engineering. And I think what AI is doing is it's lowering the bar of entry. So whereas maybe the threat actors used to have to have a certain amount of technical capability, I think it's just going to become a lot easier for them to execute upon the uh, nefarious activity that they want to do. You know, it's things like social engineering, ChatGPT, for example, could help you create a very realistic phishing email, take out the language biases, and deep fakes are a little bit more scary to me. You'll be able to recreate voices out there, right? You'll be able to take my voice, your voice, Tim, and transform that into a brand new message. Again, that's the generative AI piece of it. Um, So if you're leaving voicemails, it could actually sound like Tim or Greg. And I think that can get people to take action. Creating media snippets, misinformation campaigns, I think those are the things that are scarier to me from generative AI. That's a great point. So it's kind of the same things that we were talking about that is good from AI as far as, you know, helping us do things quicker and helping us solve a resource shortage. It's kind of the same thing on the bad guy side, right? This can help them do things quicker. It's going to help them do repeatable tasks quicker, right? So it's kind of the same side of the coin there. It so, is, because it's always been the cat and mouse game in security, right? And yep. you look at MFA, for example, right? The bad guys were, were they're getting the credentials, they were getting our credentials, they were compromising, they were able to then log in as us. What did the good guys do? We come out with MFA. And that kind of slowed the bad guys down for a while. And, oh, we don't have the MFA, we can't, but they find their way around it. They'll do phishing campaigns that'll launch a website that looks like your Office 365 login, you type in your credentials and you hit accept. They are the man in the middle, they capture your MFA session, now they bypassed MFA, or they'll do something called MFA bombing, which will then just pester your phone until you accidentally, or out of frustration, hit accept, right? And then they get logged in with your credentials. So it's that cat and mouse game of, okay, the bad guys are ahead and we come out with MFA. We're really kind of knocking down their effectiveness. And now it's the same thing with AI, right? I imagine it will be the same thing. They're going to use it. And on the other side of AI, we're going to come out with artificial intelligence that is going to look for deep fakes. You can see it in, in colleges or in schools where there's plagiarism going on and there's new technology out there now that will look for and identify plagiarized writing. But in an odd way, that's what makes generative AI. You have you have a neural network that is out there creating new content, and then you have the opposing network that is looking to detect the artificially created content. And 
So you, same thing as the good guys and the bad guys, or the threat actors and the defenders, the red team and the blue team. But in this case, it's actually making the AI stronger because the more we able to detect what's fake, then the AI learns and the AI will generate better fakes. Absolutely. I like that. I mean, it's a little scary, but obviously that's kind of what we do in security, right? We're always catching up. We're always having to kind of protect kind of the next thing. So it's also what keeps me interested in security and why I don't uh, ever want to leave this field. But since we're not quite there yet in, in AI, like what are some of the best practices that you guys use, like as you would think to manage and prioritize the alerts, right? Obviously you're an MSSP, you work for an MSSP and you know, what are some of the best practices for managing and prioritizing alerts? Yeah, so ESAN Tire is a managed detection and response. So it's, it's in the same vein as an MSSP, managed service security provider. And one of the things that we want to do for our customers is not drown them in alert fatigue. So part of it is making sure you're getting the logs from the right sources and then having, right, that's one signal. Then you're going to take your, what other signals do you have as part of your security posture? You usually have something on the network. Take your signals and the telemetry coming from the network, from the endpoints, from cloud, and look at them. And so in, behind the scenes, you're gonna have this data lake of all this information from all your different sources, getting all this telemetry, and that's a lot of data to go through. So I think something like AI can also be looking at all that data and churning it and trying to find correlations. But then when it comes down to false positives or the alert fatigue is really what's gonna kill security teams. We don't, security teams don't have enough people to look at it. So what you need is that security provider to really work with you to tune, all right, do you need all of these logs? What type of alerts do we really care about? We're looking for misconfiguration, looking for true malicious activity, looking for anomalies and behavior. And that's what it's looking for. So you need you have to think of it as a funnel and have all this noise at the top. And then it goes through a lot of processing to get down to what's a true positive and what's false positives. Yet yeah, leave it on the MSSP, leave it on the managed detection and response provider to really do the analysis using their technology and their people, and then really only filter up the alerts that matter to back to the security teams and the alerts that it has to have context, not to, okay, this is lurking through and it's a true positive. Okay, what does it mean? What's at risk? Is there an immediate response that can be done? And have I enabled the security provider to take that response? So if you look at you taking alerts and alert fatigue and the false positive, you're trimming it all down, and now you move to the next step of response. And so great, we got these alerts, but what do I do with that alert? A good MDR provider can help you take action upon that. So you, you mentioned that a little bit. You know, one of the advantages of an MDR provider is being able to kind of reduce the number of alerts, but Alert fatigue seems to be a, a real thing in organizations today. You know, that's one of the advantages of, of using MDRs is to bring that alert fatigue down. Like, how do you think alert fatigue actually impacts the overall security posture of an organization? It's extremely detrimental. There's a lot of security tests that are functions of a security program that are needed, right? You have to be looking at security architecture. You have to be doing configurations. You have to be working with the business as they're rolling out new technologies. So, if you're down to one, maybe two people on a security team, and now you're just flooding them with all these alerts that are coming in, this noise that's coming in, you're going to be taking them away from other security tasks that need to be done. 
Now, in addition, if it's constantly false alert, false alert, false alert, and 99 point something percent of them are, then it's very likely that the true positives are going to slip through because you see so few of them. So you're just getting lost in the noise. It's the needle in the haystack that's going to get through, and that's the one that's going to come back and bite you. It's a time aspect too. You know, obviously, even if you have, you have a thousand of them, you got to search through all of them. It could take you hours to respond to the actual one that you need to, right? The true incident. It's all about, you know, resourcing and responsiveness kind of combined together. And, and those alerts don't come in nine to five, right? Those alerts right. come in at any time of the day, on the weekends, mm-hmm. on the holidays. And if you just wait, well, hey, that's really bad because you know, the threat actors will take advantage of that and try and hit you on the holidays. I've been victim of that in my past as well, right? I'll take advantage of the holidays while I'm out having a beer and on the deck enjoying the 4th of July, then I get all of a sudden a phone call. So these things happen and you got to be looking at them 24-7, but we just don't have enough people to even fill your normal 9 to 5 or 9 to 6 type of security or IT team with security professionals. So try and doing that around the clock, weekends, holidays. It's a daunting task. Yeah. I love this conversation. You know, I wrote a blog earlier this year that kind of talked about how I think that MDRs and services similar to that are really going to be more and more popular in the future. You know, right now, a lot of enterprises and, you know, higher level companies use them, but I think they're going to be something that, you know, even smaller companies end up using, right? Because it's it's all dealing with that alert fatigue. The security is not getting any easier for everybody. So I think that the market is huge for a lot of the MDR type of organization. So I, I look forward to kind of just seeing how that plays out over the next it, uh, year it, or two. It has to be. I mean... Go back to the stats I mentioned before, three and a half million unfulfilled security jobs, right? Where is that going to get filled from? It's going to have to be the providers. Companies are going to have to lean on their partner, on the security partners to fill that void. I've gone through this in my past, right? So I've been in a spot where I started off, all right, internally, we didn't even have a security team my, you know, previous life. The responsibility fell upon IT for a while. And that's kind of typical, used to be more typical, and now it's becoming better practice to have your own security team, which is great. But a lot of organizations, depending on their size, they don't have that luxury to hire additional staff, or it's just hard to find those professionals that have the security skill sets. And then when I was faced with it, we knew that we were getting alerts after hours. We knew we had blind spots. We were burning out the team when alerts did come in. They'd be getting phone calls throughout the night. It was just, it wasn't sustainable. We were burning out our own people. And that is not a recipe for success for protecting your organization. So we first went down the road of going to a traditional MSSP, but we found that, okay, they were kind of doing some of the configurations on the alerting, but they weren't giving us the value back. We were just kind of chucking over some alerts. And every time I would go back to them, they would say, all right, well, re-image the machine. Every little thing that happens doesn't need to be a re-image of a machine and how severe is it and the delay in getting back information back from the security provider. So you got to find the right security provider, first of all. And that's when I found, this is going back now to 2017, 2018, and I stumbled across what was new to me at the time, MDR, Managed Detection and Response. And it was like everything I wanted was, okay, it was the 24 by 7 SOC. It was the quality SOC analyst. I believe it was an RSA, and I 
had stumbled across East Centire, and East Centire was in the category of MDR, which I hadn't heard of. And it's what we needed. We had the, the, the need to have security around the clock, but we couldn't staff it. And then when you did, did you have the quality people analyzing it? Did you have the tools in-house to, to analyze it? If I was faced with the choice of building it out internally, we were never going to find enough people. There was going to keep on being churn. We would have to bring in the tooling. We would have to maintain the tooling. We'd have to gear people up on understanding how to use the tools. So it, it didn't make sense. We had all these different signals, send them to the MDR provider, let them do the analysis, call them up 24 by 7, and only escalate the things to us that we really need to take action on. And then you're able to take the next step and say, hey, Decentire, hey, provider, when this comes up, can you quarantine this machine for me? Can you isolate that machine for me? Can you do the response action? And it just made our lives so much easier. So yeah, I mean, I really do think the future is MDR. I agree. I, I do want to kind of hone in a little bit on something that you mentioned. You started talking about, you know, we talked about resource shortage and kind of just a career in, in cybersecurity. But yeah, I think that's one of the things that you really like to talk about it and help with is mentoring the next generation of, of security leaders. So just to kind of start out, like what skills do you think will be necessary for somebody to move into the security field or just starting out in the security field? You know, it's funny that with the um, ride sharing applications, Uber, Lyft, etc. It's funny how many times I get into an Uber and for whatever reason, it's usually a, a younger driver and they'll just ask me a random question. Oh, where are you going? And I'd say, oh, there's a cyber conference that I'm going to. And immediately their eyes open up and like, oh, I was thinking about getting into cybersecurity. And it starts off the conversation. Okay, well, what do I need to do? Do you think it's worth getting into? And there's a, it's a land of opportunity. Um, you can make a good living. But it's always that what I look for is passion, right? If you're curious, if you like solving puzzles, if you like pulling at threads and doing some type of investigation, those are the qualities that I would look for. If they have that the curiosity and passion, then you can you can learn the technical bits and bytes after. Yeah, that's funny. I actually remember I was doing an event um, in St. Louis one time, and I was leaving with a with somebody else from our company and heading to the car, and a waiter like takes out after me out of the restaurant. And I'm like, oh no, like did somebody forget to pay the bill? Like what happens? And he flagged me down in the parking lot and he was like, you guys are doing cybersecurity, right? And I was like, yeah, that's what we do. He's like, I'm super interested in it. Like, how can I get started? Even like as a, just like a, you know, beginning sales rep, like a BDR, like, how can I do it? Like, and so we spent like five minutes conversation from the waiter that flagged me down outside the restaurant, right? So just, so like you said, the Uber driver, like it's the passion that you want. Cause I feel like the cyber industry is broad enough that if they want to do that and there's a passion for it, there's probably a place for them, right? Like if they're not the most technical person, maybe they can find something on the GRC side. If they are a technical person and maybe they're a developer, they could find something, you know, on the AppSec side. Like I feel like there's enough room for anybody that that has that passion and that curiosity. That's exactly what has come up in my conversations as well. Um, a lot of times I think maybe it's because of movies and I think it's a good thing they might think of getting in as a pen tester, right? Yeah. But there's, it's such a broad field, like you mentioned the GRC or the security awareness or the identity and access management and 
We could do the digital forensics. There's pen testing, there's red teams, blue teams. There's a lot of different areas within cybersecurity, plenty of opportunity. So what I usually suggest is that, all right, go out and search. What are different cybersecurity roles, positions, titles, and then start exploring which ones pique your interest? You know, that's where you're going to be successful because uh, cybersecurity can be scary, can be challenging, it can be stressful. But if you find an area of it that you really like, that you have interest in, that you're passionate about, right, that's what's going to keep you going through those long nights, through those back and forth battles with the adversaries. So, yeah, there's a lot of opportunity, a lot of different ways you can go in the field. I encourage everybody to just look. Uh, see what they what interests them, and then take some online courses, and then maybe get some entry level certifications, depending on which one. If you want to go down the pen testing route, right? Well, look for what's the entry level certification for a pen tester. Get the education, get a certification, and then with that, your certification is kind of in lieu of experience, right? And then you start getting the experience, get into IT, get into a security, an, an entry level security role. Exactly. Yes. So one kind of final question in this area before we shift to our next topic, but, you know, we've talked about AI a little bit, but do you think there are any other emerging trends that people who want to get into the cyber field should have their eyes on? Maybe it's just because we were talking about it, but it's what I think right now is the biggest one is AI, is the machine learning. I think understanding how that can be harnessed and leveraged and or how do we defend against that technology. In general, I think cloud technology or cloud infrastructure as a service or cloud as a platform, I think the security gap is even wider when it comes to cloud. So there's a lot of IT professionals who came up the traditional route of infrastructure on systems and network on traditional routers, on traditional servers, but they might not have the greatest understanding of how those operate in a cloud infrastructure. And if you're not understanding or you're not familiar with cloud infrastructure, then it's hard to secure that cloud infrastructure. So if you take the cybersecurity shortage problem, I think it's even amplified in the segment of cloud. I think that's it. You know, I love cloud. I've been working in it, I think, eight or nine years now. And I think that that's a great place for people to make an entry level start. You know, it's not just cloud, but it's maybe the scripting of how you build infrastructure in the cloud. There's so much that goes in there. And so many companies are becoming cloud native today where, you know, they don't know anything but the cloud. They've never had data centers. So I think that's a great way for people to kind of move into that role and understand the cloud security. So absolutely. I'll flip the tables here, Tim. So let me ask you. Sure. Um, <laughs> so for cloud security, I mean, if somebody was just to come with you, a very basic question. All right, I'm afraid of the cloud. How do I secure the cloud? Or what's the number one things I should be looking to do? I always say, know what you have first, right? You can't secure what you don't know. So my typical answer is, do you know what you have in the cloud? The term is visibility. And that that's still such a big problem I've had conversations at several conferences over the last few weeks. You know, I say, where are you at in your cloud journey? What's your biggest problem? And, and people are still like, ah, I, I don't even know what I have in the cloud. Like, 
the infrastructure teams are throwing stuff up there. I've got this development team throwing stuff up there. Our business is using things in this cloud provider, right? And so visibility is, to me, is still kind of the biggest problem. So once you have that, then the, the next step to securing it, to me, is like locking down the posture, right? You're making sure that you don't have port 22 wide open to the world so that anybody can try and brute force your infrastructure. So just kind of understanding your overall posture and getting it locked down before you even kind of look inside your cloud, right? Like making sure that your doors are locked before you start like clearing the house, so to speak. So that's what I think from my two cents and from doing it a few times. I think that's some good advice. Well, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about Greg a little bit. Your background is in IT, can you tell us just a little bit about the beginnings of your career and how you made the transition to cybersecurity? Sure. So when I went to school and college, I, my degree was in something completely different. It was in communications. And I just quickly realized it's not really what I want to do. I think like, there's a lot of kids in college just trying to figure out what they want to do for their life, right? And it's a lot of, a lot of pressure to figure that out in you know, those four years. So I got out and realized, all right, this is not what I want to do, but what do I want to do? What out there is emerging? And at the time, it was really, there was a need for systems administrators out in the the world. Same, similar to that, there's a need for security professionals or cloud professionals right now. So I went back to school and I got a bunch of certifications. I really understood technology. I started from the ground. I got my A-plus certifications then I've got my MCSC for the Microsoft stack. I got uh, really date myself now. Say I became a CNE for Novell. Oh, um, wow. And then I there also, yeah. <laughs> and Novell. <then> exchange, <laughs> yes. Which, you know, was a good platform, bad marketing maybe. And, uh, and they didn't survive the battle. Microsoft, you know, ate them up. But I, I had both sides covered on the Novell side and the Microsoft side. So I had both horses backed. So, yeah, I got into systems administration. And then eventually I added on network on that, but it's all still in that IT realm. And I think a lot of people in the security industry now, we either have an IT background or a military background is two areas that I find. But for myself, I got in and I was at WWE World Wrestling Entertainment for a long time. And you know, on my LinkedIn, it looks like 17 years, but it's actually it was 21 years. So there was a break in there where I was still at WWE, but I just spun up completely different area. I spun up my own business of a martial arts studio because I always like working with people. I wanted to start up my own business and learn things from every aspect of the business and teaching people uh, martial arts was something I did as kind of a passion project on the side, but it was at WWE and IT for 21 years. And in WWE, a media and entertainment company, it was in 2014-ish, I think, where security was always part of my job in IT, but we didn't have our own security program. We didn't have our own security team. So in 2014, there was a very famous hack of Sony Pictures because of the movie, um, the interview. The movie was a comedy and was talking about a, a plot to, I guess, assassinate the dictator, um, which was, I guess, loosely based or <laughs> around the head of North Korea. So there was a retaliation and Sony Pictures got hit by what was a wiper attack. So it's basically ransomware, but they didn't take anything for ransom. They just wiped out all, all the systems clean and Sony 
went back to using pen and paper and it was a big disaster. It wasn't in the news all the time like it is nowadays with ransomware. So companies weren't as prepared. So being in the media and entertainment sector in IT was the time I was able to say, hey, all the security stuff that we've been asking for, it's time. We need this. And then the purse strings got open because people were realizing that this is real threats. And it was at that time I kind of started up the security program and built out a security team at WWE. And one of the things I, I told you a little bit earlier went down the traditional MSSP road to help us out, augment our staff internally, then went to the MDR route because I wanted that threat hunting. I wanted that threat intelligence. I wanted really quality SOC service, people I could talk to, people that were part of our team without me having to hire them. And that's how I got to know East Entire. So I think a lot of people that are security leaders or CISOs, they're kind of mission-driven. I know I was, right? I just really have this passion for protecting the good guys, protecting the little guy. It's always been, even back to the martial arts, right? I want to teach the little guy how to protect themselves, right? So it's just, uh, it's part of my DNA. Is that what made and you want to be a CISO? Just kind of like it, that whole mindset of protecting the little guy? It is. Is that kind of what drove it? Down you that it path? is. I've always seen myself as a defender as protecting the little guy, as, you know, being on the side of good, so to speak. So yes, that is absolutely what wanted me, drove me to becoming a CISO. Two pieces of it on the security side, I'm doing that, as well as, again, loving to work with people and becoming a leader, being a leader. So if you combine leadership and security, then the outcome of CISO is kind of inevitable, probably. And then working with eCentire as my MDR provider at the time, um, I really got to know the company and saw how good they were. And I was like, all right, well, rather than just helping protect one company, how can I go out and help protect a whole bunch of companies? And that's how uh, I got. I knew the leadership team and uh, just was a very natural fit for me to slide in as CISO for eCentire. And that's a great way to talk about that because that was going to be kind of my last question before we do some rapid fire questions was, you know, what was kind of that point where you decided to move over to eSensire? So really kind of was the extension of that mindset of, you know, I'm helping protect, you know, WWE, but what if I could do what I'm doing at WWE times a hundred or times a thousand? Like you wanted to have, that was kind of the mindset that you went into when you went over to eSensire? Exactly. And it's, you know, you run into a lot of companies, a lot of services, a lot of technologies in the security space. And it's when you find one that really does what they say they do, and you can see the real benefit, that was just exciting to me. So, I mean, that was, it was a great opportunity and I'm loving it. That's awesome. Yeah, that, that's important. I think you and I both think the same way. Like we want to go somewhere where we can make a difference, right? Like when I made a move and, you know, I came over to where I am currently at Lacework, it was like, I want to go somewhere that makes a difference. Yeah. You want to make um, a difference. You want to make that impact. Yeah. It, you know, which is why we're in security, right? It's always changing. Nothing stays the same. That's the one thing that will stay the same is that it's always changing. <laughs> That's right. Um, so just a few questions here. So rapid fire questions, just uh, going to throw them out. Uh, what is your martial art of choice? <laughs> Muay Thai. Muay Thai. Oh, okay. That That's interesting. What is the one tool that you can't live without? Oh, I, I don't know. I, I, I will say that one thing I, I like right now is what Microsoft is doing with their security stack. I think the way that they're putting Defender together is uh, really well done. Solid. Yep. What is the most important habit an IT leader can have? Habit of listening. 
absolutely listening and building relationships. What one tip would you offer listeners to increase their cybersecurity? Focus on the fundamentals. Focus on the hygiene first. Don't try and rush it. Got to get those right. Perfect. And for anyone who wants to connect with you, what is the best place to do that? Uh, Find me on LinkedIn, Greg Crowley, CISSP. That does it for us today, listeners. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard today, don't forget to subscribe, and we'll see you next time on the Code to Cloud podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Lacework, the leading data-driven cloud-native application protection platform. Lacework is trusted by nearly a 1,000 global innovators to secure the cloud from build to run. Lacework delivers true end-to-end protection, empowering customers to prioritize risks, find known and unknown threats faster, achieve continuous cloud compliance, and work smarter, not harder, all from one unified platform. Learn more at lacework.com.